Hey, welcome to the After Now podcast with Tim and George. Give us a listen. What do you have to lose? Because let's be honest, you've wasted time on sketchier stuff than this before. Hey, Tim. Hey, George. So my neighbor said he's he's afraid to plant an apple tree. Okay. You know what I told him? What did you tell him? Grow a pear. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, you like that? I like uh, that. No, that was good. That's good. Uh, why did the tomato blush, Tim? I don't know, George. Why did the tomato blush? Because you saw the salad dressing. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, anywho, we are going to talk about, well, I'm sure it's going to say it in the description, but we're going to start our podcast off with a murder mystery. Okay. Okay. All right. And and this should hook people because people really like these murder type stories, which really makes me question them, you know, okay. but but those murder podcasts are really big. So we're going to start off with a the murder. They're huge. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's go back to 1990. It was a while ago. It was a while ago. And and here's why it's important. I was a lot thinner back then. Yeah, me too. I got to work on that. Don't we both? Yeah. I mean, seriously. But as far as people know, because we're not doing video, we are both extremely handsome cut individuals right now. All right. I'm going with that. I like that. Yeah, yeah, me too. Can't prove it. Nope. Right. Right. Okay. So in 1990, there's this terrible drought. Okay. Okay. And... In Africa, there are all these ranches or preserves. And one of the things that people, these ranchers, ranches and preserves do is people come out and see the wildlife. Okay. And this drought is really bad because all these plants are dying. Um, and one of the stars are this animal called a kudu. Okay. And a and a kudu is kind of like an antelope. Okay. All right. Um, and so during this time, everything seems to be going fine. And on some of these ranches, all of a sudden the kudu start dying in huge numbers. These, these antelopes. These antelopes. Okay. And these are like, these are farms. These are, these are like reserves uh, in Africa. Right. Is it like Central Africa? Is it South Africa? I don't know, honestly. Okay. okay. But whatever it is, really dry. It's normally dry, but this is really freaking dry. Got you. This is, you know, beyond. This and this is before, you know, the media and everyone got a hold of, you know, um, the whole, uh, you know, uh, us destroying the planet type of thing. 
and, right you know really global warming climate change depending on what side of it you're on 1990 was i wouldn't say early on but it definitely people were aware but people weren't it wasn't in the news on a daily basis let's put it that way no and honestly people are more concerned and it's funny because i you know looking at at stuff during that time people were more concerned about holes in the ozone layer right right i remember that than overall global warming right right so um so as this is happening they're they're trying to find out why is this happening and and you know of course first thing researchers or farm owners or whatever do is they look for a pattern and when they could couldn't find the pattern and because it was it was very very strange some ranches there was no problem at all okay. and some it was just widespread death murder <laughs> and so they would try to find um you know the bodies were actually in really good shape okay and so there, it wasn't like a predator. It wasn't, uh, and so they, they a tried pack to of see lions was... going crazy, something like that. Right, right. And so, so then they they brought the researchers in from the universities, and they did the blood work, and they took a look at their stomachs, and they found out that um, one of the only plants to be able to survive this drought was the acacia tree. Okay, and and the acacia tree is part of the staple it's part of a normal part of the diet of a kudu okay um but when they when they were looking at these the dead kudu they're finding that the leaves were like not digested at all and then they found that um these particular leaves had a ridiculously high volume of tenon and tenon is poisonous. Um, and, and different plants have different amounts of it. And the acacia tree generally doesn't produce that much tenon where it would kill them. Um, it's kind of like, uh, what is it? Cyanide and apple seeds, right? Yes. I, I, I accept there's a very small trace amount. But, 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 he, but here's where it gets interesting. Okay. Um, the tenon was so high, it would just destroy like the livers. Oh, wow. And they would die. Boom, drop dead. But again, there was this inconsistency. Why is it happening on some ranches and the next ranch over it wouldn't? Here's what they found out. The acacia tree was under stress because of the drought. It could tell when something was eating it. Normally, not a problem, but add the stress that it's under for the drought. And then they took a look at the ranches where the kudu were not dying from eating the acacia trees. They had smaller herds. So the tree or plant was aware of the number of animals feeding off it 
and because it was under stress, produced some produced this chemical warfare agent to make sure that it would survive the drought. Don't 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 tell me stuff like this. I, I don't Dude. I can't. You know. So this tree freaking murdered yeah. <laughs> these kudu. Yeah, that's exactly what I just got from that story. And and so what's interesting is apparently giraffes kind of know about this. Because they're so, yeah, they only eat plants, right? They're they're not so, right. Yeah. But what but they've developed a strategy of eating only the youngest leaves at the top, but only eating a little bit from each tree. Well, how convenient for the giraffe. Right, but they, they've learned that if they stay there too long. So our episode is about plants and trees and how they communicate. And this is kind of frightening because you'll never look at a plant or tree the same way again. Okay. So we're going to talk about the ecosystem of the ecosystem. Yes. Okay. And this started out with, with, with my curiosity about how plants talk to each other for a, via a network. And I'll get into that in a little bit. But what ends up, this has just blown my mind on what the research has shown. Hmm. Okay. So plants are freaking badass. What is there a name for it? Let's start there. So the network, yes. I'll get into the name of the network. Okay. But there's an arrogance, there's a human arrogance. Humans being arrogant? That, yeah, yeah. Hard to believe, right? Right. That starts with the supposition that plants are kind of just there and don't have brains and they don't have brains the way we think of it. They may not have brains, but they're aware of their environment and they react to the environment. Right. So, well, here's the thing they can learn and they have memories. Okay. 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 Um, and <laughs> doing this research, some, you know, every once in a while you'll read something or you hear something and it's just an image that you can't get out of your head. Okay. And, and one person described the plant as having their head and brain in the ground while proudly showing you their genitals. <laughs> they're flipped upside down that makes sense okay yeah, yeah. Okay. um they've 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 really kind of evolved and and so plants can communicate in a bunch of different ways um one of the ways that they can communicate to each other is through releasing gases Okay. That we can't really perceive. So if a plant is all of a sudden getting its leaves eaten, it can produce a 
gas called ethylene. Oh, sure. Okay. And so when it realizes it's under attack, and, and there's a bunch of different defenses plants have, it'll first it'll alert other plants as, with this ethylene saying, hey, something bad's going on. Start start developing your chemical warfare agents. Right. And it's it's mostly in the fact in the form of ten, tenons and tenons make the the leaves un, uneatable. Okay. 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 But there's some there's some animals that just come in and like destroy shit. And so um what these plant what these plants can do. So there's um there's a plant that has been shown that there's these little mites that come out, come onto the plant and start eating the plant. Okay. And even, even though it produces tenons, it still eats it. So what this plant has adapted to do, it sends out a chemical for that attracts a different kind of mite that will eat the mites that are attacking the plant. Okay. Think of the complexity of that. I, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to wrap my head around it. You know, it's funny. Um, I I do have an appreciation for this, and my appreciation, and I don't mean to sidetrack us, but I, I, I just I'm just gonna say this, and that's, uh, I, I've I moved to the desert about a year and a half ago. You, you know, I'm mm-hmm. in the North Phoenix area, and I used to live not far away from where you used, where you currently live, which is in in Chicago in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that plant life in the Midwest is very different than the plant life in in the mm-hmm. arid desert. Um, plant life in in Chicago in the Midwest, especially near Chicago, where there's a lot of water and you know it's there's there's just not a drought situation. It's not as pronounced as the Southwest and the West. Um, Things are green. Things are soft. Yes. Things are inviting. Um, you know, you 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 can you know run through a meadow, and you know if you want. I that would not be something I do, by the way. Um, or you could, uh, you know, clothed or otherwise. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Movies can be made. You know, whatever. <laughs> when when you come out to the desert, it is like. Everything wants to try to kill you. Um, like I, <laughs> and I didn't think about this, but you know, like no, it, it actually, it, it's exactly that. Um, mesquite trees out here. You know, I'm like, oh, look at the pretty mesquite trees. This is in the previous house that we just moved away from. It was a, a rental. I went to go grab a branch, and I must have had three or four pokers go right through my hand. Oh, just just a regular mesquite tree you know um and i'm like okay well that's dangerous and then if you look at bushes out here it's like everything is like a canopy everything's dead underneath and live on the top and it's all prickly thorny it's all meant to defend itself kill humans die (laughs) die die and yeah yeah, it's uh, it's crazy, and so I I have a a deep appreciation for what you're going, what you're talking about, because going from one environment to the other, it's amazing to me how much Mother Nature adapts, changes, and definitely keeps up with the environment. 
and our underappreciation for it is astounding. I am so much more aware and appreciate it so much more now. And it's it's funny because I used to live in Southern California, um, what, 22 years ago. And hmm. when I lived in Southern California, I was in my mid-20s or early 20s. And it, it's, it was essentially just as green as Chicago is. You know, it lived in the Newport Beach area. It was close to the ocean. There was a lot of greenage. But it was still arity and green. It was before the droughts, the big droughts. And, okay. you know, I didn't get the appreciation of the plant life that, that was different, the diversity. Although you could tell that it was a little bit more arid um, trees. And the one thing that I always joked about was... You never knew when fall, summer, spring. We never knew when the seasons changed, except for this one lonely, sad palm tree that was down the street from me. <laughs> it would just shed all of its bark, and you knew, hey, it's fall, you know. So, um, and that was it. That was all you had. That and the menu at Taco Bell changed. So, <laughs> other than that, you had no no idea. I mean, and that was my real first, like, wow. It's very different here, but I never lived for duration. I never did my own gardening and, you know, appreciated, mm -hmm. you know, the different wildlife. There's a lot of wildlife in the desert. People don't realize that. There's far, far more wildlife in the desert than people give give credit for. Yeah. In, um, here's an interesting exercise that, that I, I found um, researching just plants in general. Um, and try this with your friends. It's a great party trick. Okay. Um, find a picture, um, especially if the people that you're with are, are familiar with someone, even if it's of them, of them outside. And so picture yourself um, at a park, okay? Okay. Or, or wherever you're at. Let's say you're at a park or beach what have you. And, um, and ask the people describe to me what you see in this picture. And let's say you're, you're at a park. They'll say, Oh, I see, I see Tim. I see, uh, I see a dog. I see, um, I, I see a hot dog vendor behind them, whatever. Right. They 99% of the time, People are not going to mention the grass, right? The trees, um, the uh, any kind of foliage or bushes or whatever. They're just not right. Yeah, and that and that's called plant blindness. And they they uh, the theory is that perhaps this is an evolutionary thing to kind of filter out what's not a immediate danger to us and and a lot of um a lot of people i know um not personally but who have spent time in orbit in space on the international space station uh on the um on the uh, space shuttles when they were in service a lot of them speak to the we miss the color green we we Mm. they they forget about it but you know when you're in iis sure there's windows not many but um they're international space station for people who don't know what iis is um and 
it's it's very white. It's very it's a sterile environment. It's a space station for God's sakes. Right. So so <laughs> right. other than the um the experiments that are running uh in zero G that have plants there, they don't see a lot of green chlorophyll, right? They don't get that experience every day. Um even in the even in North Phoenix you see brown, green, you see a lot of green, especially in the Phoenix area. There's just a lot of a lot of plant life here. Um but mm. they don't have that up there. So I one hundred percent get what you're saying. I've heard it many times before. They just they always say after spending six months on the International Space Station, it's good to come back home and see green again. Yeah. 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 And and um I th- there's something in us that pulls us into nature. Mm-hmm. Um and to be around plants. And with the lockdown and stuff, we haven't been doing it as much. But I'm telling you, uh, go for a walk in nature and just open yourself up to try to get some of that energy in. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, the other thing that we don't think about is how smart plants are. And this is going back to plants' ability to talk to one another and this network that they have in certain situations well i'm gonna get to that but this is even individually i got you okay okay so um individually they've done a lot of experiments with plants okay um introducing electricity to them uh trying different stimulus you know the whole thing with music um plants can sense things and so as an example, they were talking about um, uh, a bean plant and, you know, bean plant is going to look for something solid to wrap around. That's why people put sticks or trellises or whatever for the bean plants to grow on, you know? And, and, and <clears throat> when you were a kid in school, you probably did that. And the way it does it is the plant is designed to grow at different rates of speed. Okay. So the, the tip of the plant is the one kind of searching for something and it grows a little faster. And so it'll find the path and that'll determine how the rest of the plant follows it. And the base is going to be slower growing because it has to support the rest of the weight. Hmm. Okay. And it just, and it just knows this stuff. Yeah, and you know it's funny. You could see that actually. Um, okay, I want to get this name right. David Ladder, uh, Latimers, Le- 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 Latimer. He what? He's got like the second oldest terrarium in the world. Forty-seven years. It's it was it was planted forty-seven years ago, and you could see. Because plants, you know, he can see it's a closed and closed ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess he's got like, yeah, he um, last opened it in like 19, 1972, 1970, 1974. Wow. Um, and, and so it's been basically, he got it to a point where it's been fully sealed um, and... It, it has enough water or enough liquid in it to where it, it, it creates its own, I wouldn't say rain, but mist. And it, it, it you know, the, the dirt and plants uh, fall to the bottom 
Um, it makes uh, soil. Uh, they, they, they break down, create chemicals, and then everything's reborn again. And apparently this is the second oldest sealed terrarium in the world. And my point in bringing it up is you're absolutely right. You see it from the top down. You can see the layers, and it's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. It, and it it's honestly, I think this, like we said, so many things are changing in society and stuff. And the way we look at plants is really, I, I think, is going to change dramatically as we learn more about this stuff. They're smart. They're, they're, uh, they're aware. They're, they're just aware. And like, for example, and we've talked about this before, like how our eyes can only see a certain spectrum of light. Right. Right. Um, there are certain flowers that their color and their, the way their, uh, the cells of their petals are made up are very highly visible to, um, to infrared, to infrared uh, viewing. And that's what bees look through. Sure. And it's patterns that we cannot see, but there are some flowers that basically have arrows showing the bees where the pollen is on their flower. <laughs> we can't see it. But if you look at it with, you know, an infrared uh, viewer, you'll right. be able to see it. Now that's evolution. That's not accidental that, you know, there's, it's a whole symbiotic relationship that these plants have, have figured out. And so that's really, yeah, it is. And, um, and so, yeah, we're going to get to the, to the network piece, which is fascinating. And, you know, Tim, I consider myself a fun guy, mm-hmm. and I think you're a fun guy. I'd like to think so every once in a while. And guess what we're going to be talking about? What are we going to talk about? Fun guy. Oh, fun guy. Fungus. Yeah. Excellent. Fungus. Yeah. So, um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Kind of a long way to go for that joke, but no, it's good. Uh, it's good. I like that. Uh, okay. So there's six to twelve inches underground. Oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Six okay. to twelve inches underground. Okay. Yeah. There's a fungus, and it's it's called mycelium. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And you, most people have seen if they've ever dug anything up. It looks like tiny strings. Sure. Right. And so these tiny threads connect to roots. And the roots allow it to happen. The the roots want it to happen, actually. And this produces what is, it's called a mycorrhizal network. Okay. Okay. This mycorrhizal network is almost identical to a neural network. Okay. Okay. Same structure. Same structure. Got it. But one is biochemical. The other one is 
um, plant a plant derivative. Yeah, but well, the function is remarkably similar. Sure. So what happens is is this fungus goes in there and think. Let's think of it this way. Um, on uh, a forest uh, forest preserve or piece of forest land or state park, whatever, where the land isn't getting dug up all the time. You've got this fungus and it's like, think of it like a, almost like a spider web mm-hmm. and it connects the roots. Well, the fungus connects to other fungus that connects to other roots and it will spread across a very long distance. Now here's where it gets really fun. Okay. Through this fungus, plants can talk and barter and trade and even like go to war. <laughs> sure. With other pieces in the network. Now, how does this work? Um, they, there was an example of a fir tree and, um, and a birch tree. Okay. And they basically bloom at different times of the year. And they're, these are different species trees. But because they're all connected through a network, through this fungus underneath the ground, at different times of the year, when the one tree is blooming and doing a whole bunch of photosynthesis, it is creating excess nutrients. So let's say it might have excess carbon or nitrogen or um, water for that matter. It can go across species and through this fungal network, transfer minerals and even water and signals to the tree that needs it. So it's actually helping its neighbor out essentially. It's it's the the yeah. the tree that's next to it or whatever. Got yeah. It. And then in the the latter part of the year where the other tree is in bloom and, and producing all this excess, it will send nutrients the other way. If needed. Got it if needed. And this is, um, I guess even in like some, uh, some rainforests Mm -hmm. where they have a very, very high thick canopy. Okay. Those trees are getting all the sunlight and doing all the photosynthesis. And because they're in the canopy, they have access, excess minerals and they can dole it out to other plants on the floor that are hidden from the sun from the canopy to keep those plants alive because it's beneficial. Okay. Now, they did a lot of experiments with this stuff. Okay. So they they took seedlings and kind of put them in bags. So that they were in the same soil, 
same condition, same rain and sun and blah, blah, blah. But there was a layer of plastic between them and everything layer, else. Yes. And, and they were not connected to this network. Okay. The trees in the network were four times more likely to survive than the trees that were cut off from the network. A factor of four. Hmm. Interesting. Now, now, they... Um, when they looked at this network, the older trees and older plants have more connections than the younger ones. Kind of makes sense, right? Yeah, make sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like larger uh, root system, larger everything, right? So right, yeah, right. They call these mother plants or mother trees. Okay. These mother trees. See, there's a bunch of mother trees around. The mother trees can tell which one are their offspring. Oh, really? Yes. And they've done tests with this by putting different um, like minerals into trees and seeing where it ends up. And the trees that were from their bloodline, if you will, got the better minerals in the transfer than trees that were not of their kin as they call it. Okay. And they even did stuff like getting trees from different mountain ranges of the same species. Interesting. Okay. And they would be taken care of, but just not as well. And when a tree is in its final throes of life, when it's about to die, it will do a huge offload of all the beneficial minerals that it has in it and pump it through this network with priority going to its kin. So it's like sending um, whatever it has left to the seedlings or smaller plants so they would benefit by it. Right. With preference being given to its kin. <laughs> okay. It's not just a dumb tree out there. No, for, no, 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 for sure. And, you know, um, we're talking about millions and millions of years of evolution. Maybe yeah. even perhaps billions of years, you know, um, in California, the redwood forest, that, that's an ancient forest. And, um, you know, I, I would bet you that uh, some of those trees would be considered uh, parental uh, parental units. Oh, sure. Yeah, and, and, and that's the other thing. Plants can live thousands of years. Yeah, I mean, what many, many of the uh, oldest known redwoods are over 3,000 years old. Which is nuts. And think of, think of what they've seen. And they have... I mean... Even though they, I, they don't I, have the... If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, there's even, like... What do they call them? Like, Bristol Cone Pines? And those are, like, 5,000 years old. Can you imagine that? <laughs> That's crazy. So I have an interesting story how... You know, the earth just can't have nice things because of us. Wow, that's, yeah. Uh, 
So there's there's a tree, a famous tree in Africa, because it was the only tree within 250 miles. There's just one lone tree sitting there, hundreds of years old. Okay. And it died a few years ago. I'm not going to like this. Okay. No, you're not. No. Because a drunk guy ran into it. Oh, jeez. Yeah. How shitty of a driver do you have to be to hit the only, the only obstacle in 250 miles? Oh, that's that's so that's so annoying. That's so annoying. Isn't that so human though? Yeah, it is. That's <laughs> sounds like something we would do. Yeah, and and so when you look at a forest untouched, this network is is there, and this network is extremely efficient. Which is hard to find these days. Yes. Before and this is how, yeah. and this is how we know that this network is efficient, mm-hmm. because we can look at our modern farms. Our modern farms are mono. Oh, oh before we get off of this, um, the one person I saw that had was like an expert in these network type things. Um, she she wrote a book called the wood wide web (laughs) (laughs) i like it i like it i have her name here somewhere i can't find it you know um and and i just and before you mention that i just want to say to people out there there are um recent news um there are ecosystems that scientists are finding they're finding ancient forests in areas all around the world there was a there was a, a a recent discovery in china um, 192 meters deep. It was a sinkhole in southern China. Uh, contained trees that were 40 meters tall. Just wow. Like, just like what you're talking about, man. That's 120 feet. Yeah. And and this environment has thought to have never been touched uh, or or almost is, let's call it, you know, um, virgin territory, for, for lack mm-hmm. of a better, back of, lack of a better term. So... What you're talking about makes a lot of sense. They do exist, even though, you know, we rain garbage upon the planet. Um, there are some areas that are still, um, you know, um, pristine. Yes, and and, the, and you were ta- I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you no, no, about, no. You were talking about. Uh, um, I'm sorry. What was her name? Uh, I, I, I don't. I have it here somewhere, Tim. I, I don't know, but. She wrote the book, uh, or she coined the term "wood wide web," okay. <laughs> which is really freaking clever. I like that. Um, because why not, right? It's just like, it, yeah. And so the cool thing about this is where it gets back into nerd territory, and we had talked about uh, some slimy fungus before creating, where I think the the Chinese were using like a fungus to kind of map out a network that they were having trouble doing because it finds the most efficient path. I think we talked about that last mm-hmm. time, maybe. Yeah. Um, so one of the things there's, there's also um, a guru going around right now. And he wrote a book about soil and it's kind of, it's related to this. Okay. And the thought, well, not the thought, but the estimate is, is that within 45 years, most of the soil on earth is not 
going to be producing much at all because of the way we most of the world farms okay and the way we farm is we till it way too deep past that six to 12 inches so we get rid of that fungal network we then put one crop that soil does not like to have only one crop as soon as a weed shoots up we pesticides put and we kill pesticides it. and mm -hmm. kill it and here's the interesting thing the thought the new thought is even on your grass weeds are nature's way of adding diversity to a field we i, know ne how I never thought of it that way you know yeah, humans love diversity oh oh yeah we're, we we've proven ourselves over and over again in that field haven't we yeah exactly um but I never yeah. thought of a, you know, you always think, ah, that freaking weed. But it's nature's way of adding diversity to the soil. That's that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, um, the wood wood wide web of plant communication. Uh, the find in finding the mother tree, forest ecologist Suzanne Simard. Simard. Yeah, that's her. And it's, it's, it's a great story on Susan Samard. Uh, just, yeah, Susan Samard. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so here's, here's a couple of interesting. So, and as soon as there's any kind of pest, we throw an insecticide on there. And then because we have a, a mono crop on there, um, fungus is going to want to grow back. So we throw fungicides on there. Um, so humans are trying to engineer the plants to be non-diverse and yes. the plants are like, no, 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 no. Hold on. We, we need diverse. So basically what you're saying is the human race can learn a lot by, by plants. Yeah. From plants. And, and here's, here's some sobering, um, statistics okay. that prove this out. Okay. If you were to eat an orange in 1920, Okay. The nutrients in that orange were really solid because we weren't jacking with the land. Not nearly as much as we are now. An orange today, in order to get the same nutrients as that 1920s orange, we would have to eat eight oranges today. What? Yep. Okay. Here's another sobering fact. A plowed field um, without the fungal network underneath it um, requires 85% more water. Really? Yes. So to grow the same thing in a diverse field, you would need 15 gallons for every 100 gallons used commercially today. We've got all these water shortages, right? And the water's evaporating. And that's why they're saying in about, and they're, this guru guy keeps on bringing up Chicago saying, you know, Chicago is going to be 
people are the wars are going to be about food because we're going to be growing food that has no nutritional value because it's about the soil dummy <laughs> right so and I'm, I'm sorry i don't understand the, the tie with chicago so what, what this guy is saying that cities like chicago will have will be in complete chaos um and he, I think he brings up Chicago because it's in the Midwest. It's kind of an average city, a bigger average city with a lot of people in it. And there's going to be food scarcity in a city like Chicago. So, yeah, and not to totally get off the topic, but you and I do this all the time. What's funny yeah, is, well, yeah. yeah, you know, it is, <laughs> it is what it is. I, I had uh, there, and and I'm totally blanking on who the ecologist slash survivalist slash um you know farmer was who said this and if i can remember it i'll come back around to it before the end of the show but he was saying that um in the united states because you know we have a lot of land per capita um Mm -hmm. people who live in the suburbs have enough land to cultivate their own food (laughs) um yeah if if they needed to right um and so when we talk about food shortages and you know in in essentially this is what you're talking about is we're engine we're changing the nature of nature yes yes and so since we're doing that we're taking the efficiencies out of nature and building in unfortunately inefficiencies and but his point was, um, people could grow their own food. You don't really need grocery stores, or you, if you did, it would be an offset, right? It would mm-hmm. be, you know, hey, if you if just some people grew, you know, um, cantaloupe and grew cantaloupe's probably a bad example. It takes a lot of water to grow cantaloupe, but but you know, cucumbers and tomatoes and 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 uh, whatever. Oh my, um, yeah. you would have enough. You know, even in the more temperate areas, you would have enough around the clock to, or around the the calendar to, you know, sustain you thirty percent of the time, twenty five percent of the time. But if you take that yeah. thirty or twenty five percent per family, you multiply it oh. by the number of families that are in just the United States. We're just, we were talking about North America, so let's include Canada. Um, the pressure that would come off of the farming industry and the ecosystem is immense. Absolutely, the food would be better. Yeah, he also said the food would be better. You, you're absolutely right about that. And one of the things that that's, was discussed about it is we've sanitized everything, so we get fertilizer from a bag. Well, in nature, what happens in the forest? Yeah, it breaks down. It it, it, it breaks down, and animals poop. Right. Right. And that's how they spread seeds around. Yeah. And we're afraid of stuff like manure and we're afraid of um, natural things that get dirty. And, you know, it may not, it won't be in a perfect little row, (laughs) you know, and and like even the forests that, that we plant are one type of tree because they're easier to harvest. Right. As opposed to like we were talking about the birch and the fir, you'd want both of those in a forest, but then it'd be harder to harvest. Okay, well, we got to, we only want the fir trees. 
so we have to work around the birch, you know? Uh, um, but that's how they, they want to grow. And so it's, it's all of this stuff put together. Uh, the risk, first of all, respect for nature and plants. They're really well designed and they are smart on their own. Right. 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 And, um, and how do they want to grow? Not how do we want to grow them? And, and, and maybe there's a balance there of harvesting and the money part of it. There's always money involved. Um, but we're being told what's going to happen, right? There's just not going to be enough sustainable food because the stuff that we're growing is, you know, it's kind of like uh, cocoa puffs. <laughs> right. And, you know, I've got something that may shock you. Um, What's that? Our laws have to change, too, in the United States. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. As of July 20th. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. As of July 2020, um, residents of Florida have the right to grow their own food. Before that, it was illegal. Come on. Nope. Nope. Governor Ron DeSantos signed a a, a bill uh, which uh, allowed Floridians to grow uh, and to cultivate their own food. And prior to July 2020, um, it was uh, not very legal. In one of the richest growing areas on the planet. California has a homegrown food act. Um, you have to have special zoning regulations. Uh, that that makes a little bit more sense because of the water issues that are going on in Flor- uh, California. But well, the water issues are fairly new. They are fairly new. But my point here, um, and uh, my 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 point here was just, hey, you know what? Uh, before you decide to go and grow, uh, start a garden in your house, and listen to these two numbskulls on the on the podcast, yeah. make sure make sure you don't get in trouble. I don't want to I don't want to bill or uh, uh, or more importantly a upset listener with a uh, email being sent her way. Yeah, can, can you can you imagine? What are you in for? I was listening to his knuckle as I decided to grow some broccoli. Yeah, those cucumbers <laughs> got me in here for three weeks. <laughs> Um, man, we were way off the topic, and I'm sorry for doing that. No, to you, no, but, no, but yeah. we're not off the topic. It's 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 all part of the same thing, you know. And for those, you know, this is just one of those things that so many people, and this is this is driving me nuts lately. People get caught up on just a portion of the truth, and they don't follow through. So. You know, if you're a vegan, then you want to make sure your food's coming from a sustainable place, right? Yeah, but now you're and, telling me these plants think for themselves. Well, they think for themselves. And the other thing is, is um, talk about wide scale destruction. I mean, to grow a field of kale, it's it's ridiculous the number of like, groundhogs and prairie dogs and um just any kind of rodent and bird it's 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 
thousands per acre of these animals that get killed to grow kale. And there's no free lunch at all. There's yeah. just, there's no free lunch. Yep. And, you know, if you really want to do it, buy yourself a couple acres and try to do it yourself. Um, the, this is kind of the morose part of it. Kind of like the, the happy ending part of if you're one of these fatalists of, oh my gosh, we're destroying the planet, blah, blah, blah. Planet will do fine without us, right? No, planet will do better without us, actually. Right, right. But, but so we can screw it up as much as we want. And within a couple years, it'll grow over and heal itself. It just will. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's been some damage for sure, but your point's taken. You know, and so what can we do about it? Well, you know, look at plants differently now. Right. You know, and I don't know if you're going to feel bad about eating broccoli. I I wouldn't, but, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, so the, the point here is that there is a network. These things talk to one another. These these plants yeah. talk to one, one another in the forest, but not necessarily in the forest, too. I mean, these could be, you know, in the backyards of homes that are 30, 40 years old. You have, you know, deep brush. You have you know, a small canopy of trees, there may be an ecosystem of a plant life that might be able to communicate with one another. And so the idea here is to think about that. And and even, it might even be like after a year or so, Tim, I think, I think these networks form pretty quickly. Um, And Oh, one other thing about the network. um, There are a hole plants too. Okay. So, some of these a-hole plants can send stuff through the network to either kill or keep other plants away from them. Um, we got to make so a that... t-shirt that says, don't be an a-hole plant. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, like I, I think, what is it? Uh, is it the walnut tree or chestnut tree? One of those um, put stuff into the, like, to the ground around them to keep plants just away from them. Broccoli is a plant that'll kill other plants. I think orchids are plants that kill other plants. Um, they'll let some live, but the others they'll just murder. <laughs> so, um, and, and it's, it's interesting, you know, if you want to, if you really want to freak out about this, I mean, you know, a, you just ruined that Nat King Cole song for me. Which uh, chestnuts roasting on an open fire every time around Christmas <laughs> when I listen to that song I'm going to go back to this podcast and I'm going to be like well that's an a-hole plant that's an a-hole tree man that's <laughs> sorry go on um, so there's a there's an M. Night Shyamalan movie with uh, I think Mark Wahlberg okay about um, and it's kind of about this where plants want to rid the earth it sees people as a threat and uses like chemical defenses to get rid of us it's it's kind of creepy but (laughs) i don't think that's going to happen but um well i mean you say that but you know covid variants monkeypox i mean I don't know. I, I, I don't yeah. think the Earth very much likes us right now. So it, no, it I seems wouldn't to be either. Fighting back, right? 
Yeah. And, and um, the interesting part about it is you know, we go through all these different things because, you know, at one point they were worried about an ice age. Now they're worried about warming and they're worried about overpopulation. And now people are warning that there's going to be a population crisis because there aren't enough people having kids now. Um, and we're going to have population crashes. So maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. But oh, there'll be a lot oh, less traffic. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm down um, for that. Me too. Yeah, COVID didn't suck. If you're driving during COVID, it was nice. Yeah, no, that was like one of the few things that was good about COVID. I mean, there wasn't much that made COVID enjoyable. But if you were in a major city like Chicago, you know, like L.A., like Phoenix, I mean, Phoenix, people in Phoenix think that they have traffic. I think that's kind of comical. Just take a drive out to L.A. for a weekend. You'll find out what traffic is really quickly. But no, um, you know, when I lived in Chicago, uh, when when, uh, my fiance and I lived in Chicago for the beginning of COVID and uh, I had to travel from the western suburbs in, oh, my, that was nice. So if a population decline is on the on the horizon, that might not be a bad thing. Yeah, that's what they're saying. Even Elon Musk, I think, was was talking about. Friend of the show. We have to bring him up. Friend of the show. We have to bring him up. I think he's he's mentioned in every show. Almost. I don't think we got him in last time. You know, I feel bad. He's uh, he's telling his workers not to you know work from uh, home anymore. He wants them to come in. I know. We should we should we should digress to another show on that one. Yeah, that'll be a different show. Yeah um but um so what happens if we continue i mean i think i know the answer to this but i mean is there a is this a regenerative type of situation where you know we do damage but then behind us quite literally the weeds move in and um this neuro this network this plant network gets rebuilt or i mean what what's the consensus the short midterm and long-term consensus on the damage that we're doing to these these networks so the over under is like 45 years oh okay okay of if we continue doing what we're doing for 45 years um because i think like something like 70 percent of the earth's soil is being used to grow something so the over under is 45 years there's just not going to be enough nutrients because we're pumping all this fake uh, fertilizer in there. So 45 years, it's all going to be spent. Okay. Well, that's depressing. Well, yeah. And people are ringing the bell. So here's what it comes down to, in my opinion. If the world governments, and they don't show a great track record, um, can overcome the short-term profit motive, then there's a chance, right? So rather than using Roundup seeds and Roundup and fungicides, they go back to, and that's fine to use hybrid seeds because every seed is kind of a hybrid, right? At this point, Um, maybe not GMO, but hybrid seeds use start using natural fertilizers add diversity 
into the soil. They said that, you know, some small things like even on the borders of these, of these big fields, right. having certain types of flowers. Because the flowers add different nutrients and they, they pull different nutrients and they attract different bees. Um, mm. And it's, it's a whole thing. So there are people and this guru guy is really trying, he's going all over the world talking about saving the soil. Um, otherwise what's going to happen, we go with decent seeds and it could be hybrids because every planet by this point is a hybrid, even if it's an heirloom, it's a, they were high making hybrids back in, you know, the thirties and forties. Right. Um, I don't know about GMO. That's a whole different question. If they use natural fertilizers, they stop poisoning the ground with Roundup and fungicides. Um, they find a way to get away from monocropping, which means adding having extra, you know, different types of of crops in there. Um, some things like putting some tree stands and maybe some flowers within these fields, because that they said even a small stand of trees and flowers really help a field. Um, and by that we could use less water. So if all these things happen and we probably need, we, we probably yeah, need right. government subsidies, honestly, right. but we're paying money out of stupid crap right now. You know what I mean? So if, if it's a concerted effort and we can get away from the profit motive, that's the biggest hurdle. If not, the estimates are it's going to be another dust bowl. So, um, back in, uh, 19, December 11th, 1985, Carl Sagan sat in front of Congress and told everyone about, uh, and, and tried to explain what, what real, uh, climate change looked like. And, and he made his point pretty clear. And uh, my point on that is that was 1985, and that was mm -hmm. way before, <laughs> way yeah. before anybody started really talking about climate change. And in what you're saying, um, I mean, if we even just recap the show really quickly, ecosystem diversity, network, all these trees, plants, they, they talk to one another, defensive, you know, um, and offensive and... And, and for the betterment of the plants as well, right? But yeah. the reality of this is is that something that struck a chord with me is how many oranges do I need to have um, today to equal one orange back in the 1920s, 30s? You said it was eight. Eight, eight oranges? Eight so, to one. Damn it. So we, we can assume just by that number that we've damaged the environment by a factor of eight to 10 when we're just yeah. talking agriculture, right? Yeah. And that's yeah. a very unscientific way of saying it or, or even coming to that number, but we're just talking about it. You know, we've had scientists for years, uh, even 30 years, 40 years, talk about climate change. I mean, something, it, it, to me, it sounds like something catastrophic has to happen before anybody will listen to anything. Unfortunately, that seems to be the way we work. 
Now, what would be ideal would be to incentivize farmers because that's what was done in the 20s, right? We incentivized farmers say, hey, this is a new way of farming. This is how we want to do it. After the Dust Bowl, they tried to learn. They tried to do different things. Um, you know, sometimes use let, let fields go fallow for a year to kind of build up. But then now we're using chemicals to undo all that stuff. Um, everyone talks about following the science. Right. Until the profit motive comes in. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've got all these lobbyists from these farm and chemical companies and some of them are just freaking evil, you know, and it's, it's, it's about the almighty dollar. Um, but it, I think, I think what, what would be a real game changer is coming up with a way to show a farmer how they can consistently make money doing the right thing. I think that's it. I think right. that's what it comes down to. Right. Boy, this is so frustrating to talk about. It is, but are you ever going to look at a plant the same way again? No, I'm not. You know, and and are you ever going to get the image of a plant with its head in the ground, its genitals just sticking out, staring I, at you? I mean, no, not really. I I'm gonna, you know, that that's that's going to be an image that's going to be burned into my <laughs> my mind for a while. No, I I I, 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 I like where we went on this. I lo I love um, the background. Thank you for you know doing the research on it. I I thought. Yeah. I just thought it's a very interesting topic, you know, that that's not usually discussed. I, I was aware of it, um, but, you know, talking about it takes you on so many tangents and, you oh, know, it's so much deeper yeah. than, than, you know, and there, it's so much more complex. And <clears throat> if anything, I think a lot of the things that we're learning on these podcasts, mm -hmm. be it space, be it, um, uh, just artificial intelligence being all this stuff everything's connected yeah you know and, and everything as, is as much as absolutely right and, and you know we're, we're getting more high tech and more away from the earth and all that other stuff but everything's connected yeah it's kind of that's kind of cool i think it I think is kind of cool. cool realization no i like it i i, I think it's um, I think it's uh, par for the course. I think it's. I think people understand it. I really do. I think people understand that we're a lot more connected. Uh, and I'm not talking digitally. I'm talking, yeah. you know, ecosystem-wise. Uh, we're a lot more connected than what many people want to generally, you know, admit. And, um, yeah, I mean. And, and I don't know about you, Tim, but when, when we explore these things and, you know, we – granted we may take a while to get there but when we talk about this connectiveness logically you got to get your head around but it feels right yeah which i think is is kind of the big thing is it passes a sniff test it feels like it's something that innately we know yeah and you know you go back to it i mean 
it's something that I, uh, and now I'm going to bring it up because bringing it up earlier wouldn't have been appropriate, but now it's appropriate to talk about when we talk about, you know, um, the human neural network versus a plant-based network that mimics a neural network. And then we talk about AI, which is something I didn't want to bring up before, but I'll bring it up right, now because we're talking right. about other things. Um, AI mimics that as well. You know, it's funny. The sniff test is just what you just said. The sniff test is there. You know, I mean, um, there is a pattern to the madness. And whether it be a plant, whether it be a human brain, whether it be a mouse's, you know, you know, a mouse brain, right? Whatever. Uh, Whether it be, uh, you know, something we're coding and that mimics uh, intelligence. Um, it all seems to follow a grand design. Yes. Yes. And one that we did not come up with. (laughs) It's just kind of the path of, it's like, this is the Mandalorian, right? Yeah. The reoccurrence. Yeah. This is the way. this This is the way. Ah, we're gonna have to pay royalties at Disney now, aren't we? <laughs> on that note, I think do we do we do we tackle everything we wanted to tackle on this? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Okay. Yeah, I thought this was a good show. Yeah, I, I uh, again, Tim, I'm having so much fun with this, just doing the research and finding all this stuff out. You know, it's good stuff. I like it. It is. Yeah. Well, on that note, let's uh. Let's sign off, yeah? Oh, yeah. Sounds good, man.